Welcome, good morning to, uh, welcome to another installment of our Voices of the Festival. I hope you're doing well. I greet you today from Morelia, Mexico. Uh, I'm here with the International Summer Opera Festival of Morelia. Oh, a lot of people are watching. Hi, hello. And let me, oh, he's here. And I'm going to invite Jeremy. Tenor. Uh, 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 uh. I invited him, so hopefully he'll join us. Uh, Excellent job. So, that, that's how we do work. You know, it's always a little time there. He is perfect. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I need to make sure that the thing stays a little more steady. There we go. How are you doing? I'm do doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, Wonderful. Have you? And, and where are you right now? Uh, I'm, I'm in my home in New Jersey. Uh, I'm, I'm in uh, Essex County, New Jersey. Okay. Excellent. So, uh, are you from there originally? I yeah, I'm from uh, originally from New Jersey. Actually, I was born I was born in Florida. Um, I lived there until I was about eight years old, and then uh, we moved upstate. We moved uh, to New Jersey, and I've been in New Jersey now for about twenty uh, twenty six years. So where? I'm from New Jersey. I can officially right. say that. <laughs> right, right. And uh, uh, where in in um, where in Florida were you born? In Flo Florida, I was born in uh, Broward County, uh, in, in Fort Lauderdale, Carl Springs, actually. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah, we lived there until I was about eight years old. And, um, but Jersey's, Jersey's always felt like home, you know, my more formative years growing up in Jersey. Um, right. In, in central Jersey, which most people would say doesn't agree. I mean, they don't, doesn't exist. You know, there's a north and a south. They say there's no central. But I think uh, Governor Murphy just declared central Jersey is is a real thing so that was a big win for us okay <laughs> isn't that where, where's uh, elizabeth and and uh the, the um rutgers oh that's um uh not not quite where i where i grew up i'm I, now i'm actually um further further north so i'm near um like universities i'm near like montclair state university or um like seton hall university is up here as well uh, my question is oh, i think that I would think that that uh, Rutgers considers Central Jersey or not? Um, yeah, New Brunswick, yeah, um, thereabouts. And um, you know that that's a beautiful, beautiful part of the of the state. And I I, I thought uh, in New Brunswick and and the river and the Rutgers is just a really beautiful place. So it is. Jersey has has a lot of diversity. You know, like we've got everything from the shore down south. There's you know the Meadowlands. There's a lot of um, you know mountain areas um i'm i'm in uh, uh maplewood right now so there it's near like the south mountain reservation there's a lot of really beautiful uh parts up here in north jersey montclair some okay. some gorgeous parts some really old old towns in new jersey like early 1700s right yeah great yeah, excellent <laughs> good and, and um and uh how 
how did you uh, start doing music? Um, I, when I, ever since I was a kid, I mean, like most people, I had the performing bug. I, I just wanted to entertain. And um, early on, I, I loved singing and, and I got told, you know, I had a, had a voice and it was always for fun. And then um, in school, it became more of a passion. There were, you know, the activities, the after school programs, doing the school plays and singing. And I was always, always had really great success. That was my sport, you know, where I excelled at. And um, it was in, in high school and I, I was part of a, um, a, a selective group to do a, a, a program within my high school, which was the fine and performing arts program at Howell high school, which was, you know, an acting focus. We took, three hours a day, we had acting classes, dance classes, music classes. Wow. Uh, and that was that was a, like an intensive conservatory within the, the high school. And that kind of launched me into thinking of this as a career um, with the skills to back it up. And I went to Montclair State University. That was my undergrad, um, a BFA in musical theater. And that, that was where I had uh, the, the attention put on me that I had a voice for opera, which was was very foreign to me. It was a foreign concept. I didn't have that growing up. I, I was a little late to the classical music side. Uh, I didn't think I had the, the skill set for that, but with the motivation and the attention I was given at Montclair, I definitely found my, my niche. And I, you know, like, like most men my age, I was, uh, it, it made more most sense that I was a baritone learning the operatic skills even from musical theater uh, I just kind of opened my mouth and sang whatever came out and that's it was the baritone voice so I uh, pursued that for a little while and until it became um, not necessarily a, not a challenge but not as as thrilling I felt there was more to my voice and I kept hearing that from not only my peers but myself and i sought out um, a new teacher i studied with a phenomenal teacher her name was carol yar and we spent uh, a year um in studio rebuilding my, my my voice my technique relearning everything from the ground up um at first i thought it was just adding other levels you know and just building up higher and at a certain point, I realized we needed to just put a new foundation down as well and rediscover what it meant to, to sing in this new voice uh, as a tenor. And that was in 2015 and 2016. I made my my debut as a tenor, and it's it's been it's been working ever since. <laughs> Great. So so when you said that you were doing uh, music already from from very early age so from elementary school did you did you start music when when you were a little kid or or i did or... the very the very first uh, i i <laughs> it's funny actually my i think it was my my preschool graduation i know this is very long time but it was some of my earliest memories of being on stage we 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 did a a little number um I think it was that song, Do You Love Me? You know, Do You Love Me? And I, they couldn't get me off the stage. The, the class ended, I, I was running circles, I was singing for everybody. And uh, my parents, my grandmother, they, they realized that I had the passion for that. And um, 
little little later on in life i i did things like the the wizard of oz munchkins the wizard of oz any any community theater my mother was very good about uh finding me a way to to participate um but i would my grandma taught me show tunes i would really just entertain the family um singing things i've always had a song always had something i wanted to sing and then it became more of a, a serious passion later on in life and uh did you when when you were so you did music all through your elementary school I, and, and you said that you had the three hours of after school that's all through elementary school that was that was in high school that was a program uh -huh. um it was it was an audition based program there were you know um, hundreds of students that came in to apply and they only accepted uh about 15 each each year um uh -huh. So where that was, was where was that that was in in howell high, howell high school in howell new jersey um okay. farmingdale new jersey south south jersey and that so that's the, a, um, the that's a performing art high school it's called the it's called the fpac program fine and performing arts center and it was within the within the school so in in within new jersey they have uh, what they call like magnet schools where you can um They'd like culinary arts or tech, um, you know, technical institute or, or um, there are a few other that are um, outside of your district. You can apply and audition or and um, get accepted into these magnet programs, and then you you would change your school. So I went and auditioned with monologues and you know worked really hard on that, and I was accepted into that program, and we did some very intense acting training we did um learn you know the miser technique stanislavski uh we learned all about the group theater we we did a lot of intense scene studies role studies character studies the tool some of the tools that i learned from 14 to 17 to 18 were are still tools that i use today um for my acting uh resources and it was i also had uh some you know intensive teachers for for dance we took ballet jazz modern dance learning the history of that uh, we had a lot of vocal training as well um, learning show tunes chorus numbers and that was it was my my senior year there that i had uh my teachers kind of push me in that direction the vocal direction to to learn some more um classical oriented music which i was grateful to because when i, when I came back to montclair state university i needed that uh we, my freshman year they asked all the men to audition for the opera and i've never sang any opera before but i had uh, some art songs that i worked on and i turned a few heads which was which was nice and got some attention and some guidance um it was I was fortunate that they recognized the raw talent and had the facilities to guide me and mold me and also inspire me. It's something I thought I could never do and I didn't even have an ear for or an eye for. And now it's suddenly one of the biggest parts of my life. How, how did you, because it seems like you, you were singing nonstop, right? So how do you manage your, your voice thing, change? Um, I, it, it's, it's funny, I had, it, it was it was the right time it i i think i always was a tenor i just didn't understand the technique no um, no 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 i'm oh, not talking about oh, the bad thing oh, okay. i'm talking about the other one that from from a 
from a guy, from a little, from oh, a, like, you know, like, the voice like, soprano to a baritone. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I, my voice got deep really quickly and I, 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 I learned that I could manipulate it very easily. There was, there was that elasticity. So I was able to do, there, there were maybe a couple of years where I wasn't able to access my falsetto um, through the changes it, and it got a little weird, but the, um, the testosterone kicked in and the voice dropped. And I quickly went, you know, in high school, when you're in choir, there's very few bases. So I was always latched in as, as a, you know, a, a bass. And um, I started doing what I thought were, were affectations or, or kind of faking what I heard. And now I realized they were appropriate technique, you know, the sort of darkening, broadening the space. I did, um, you know, not only the high school choir, but I did the, the all state choir as well, uh, had, which is also, you know, addition based program with oral skills, sight reading and um, being involved in that, listening to other people. Listening was was key. I, I always had a good ear and I kind of would start mimicking what I heard and then discover the technique later. Um, so I think technique was was key in managing the voice change. You know, singing healthfully was always, always the key. I never pushed the voice in unusual spots. I always had a good kinesthetic relationship. If something didn't feel right, it probably wasn't right. And I had good, good teachers that were able to stop me or guide me or steer me in a, another direction. But, and now, yeah, now I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you felt like you had good teachers at that early age. How, how do you, now that in, in, in hindsight, what were the the skills of these teachers that were men that were guiding this young person's transitioning from voice soprano into a a low male voice first? Um, I think some of it was was my tenacity and my my ability, uh, the, the the raw talent. I, I and and they um they were able to recognize that. I I I was fearless whenever I sang. I still am fearless whenever I sing because. You know, I work very hard at it now, but younger, um, it was, I guess it was everyone's fearless when they're a kid because they don't know they shouldn't be. Uh, so, so you gave me a piece of music and I learned how to sing it. And, and I, I was excited to do that. I, I went to a performing arts camp actually when I was younger too. I went to uh, Frenchwood's uh, performing arts camp and I sang more music there than I've ever learned. I learned all these musicals we would do a musical from from nothing to complete in three weeks, and this is you know teenagers doing that. Uh, we did four shows a year, and they, the whole campus did about fifty. Um, so that was exciting. I think just doing it every day, learning the the, the skill set and the muscles of it, uh, just made it made it so much easier. And it, it, it the once the momentum went, it, it kind of just clicked. Uh, I, I, I'm fortunate that I didn't struggle in that finding my voice stage. Uh, I think the voice found me in, in a sense. And the, I just, I had the teachers that responded to it um, and, and were always, were always knew that I could do more. Um, and I, yeah, it didn't, I, I felt limitless when I was, when I was younger singing because and and when you when you went to, into college, you were already you were thinking of doing musical theater. I was doing musical theater. That was my my major. We did. Uh, I I think I did four shows my first 
year. I did, I did the, the musical, which we did the full Monty. That was at, at Montclair State. Um, and I got one of the lead roles there. And then we did, uh, we did an opera that was written by the chair of our uh, by uh, Montclair State, Robert Aldrich. It was um, American opera, Elmer Gantry. That was my okay. first. That was my first opera I ever did, and really immense choral singing. Um, and then we did. I did two other musicals after that, and I, I, I thought the only way to have a performing career was Broadway. I thought I thought Broadway was it. I thought you know it, it just made the most sense. And then I realized there are other avenues, and there's a whole other world. There's you know forty eight other. 49 other states to work in and there's you know endless amount of countries that are also performing there's music all over the world and i realized that i was casting too narrow of a scope not that broadway would that be a fantastic goal but it's not the only way to sing um and having the the teachers kind of show me that there's there's a career however i want i want to make it um plus i I, I I call myself a singer who moves. Um, the way I responded to singing was not always the way I responded to dancing, and I, I I knew I was able to keep up, but I wasn't naturally gifted the way some other dancers were that you know can do amazing things. So I I kind of led with my vocal strengths to guide me more towards opera as well, where um, it's more about more about poise and not about you know how high you can kick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not 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 a lot of dancing usually in opera. Not, uh, not certainly not when you're sick. Yeah, yeah not not in the. <laughs> yeah, not in traditional opera, at least, and, and the the standard rep, I would say. And uh, so it seems like your your first contact with opera was quite you know unusual because you do country. Uh, uh, and uh, what's um, have you discovered that singing in opera was enjoyable? I, 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 I liken it to, to athletics or, or, you know, um, a, a, like a physical sensation. You know, if I, if I was a mountain climber and somebody showed me the highest mountain to climb, well, I'd want to go climb that. So I considered myself a vocalist. I knew that my voice was my niche, was my, my passion. It was something that I did, knew that I did better than most people, not to sound, um, you know, cocky, but it's confidence. It was, I, I was, I knew that that was my gift. And uh, when, when presented with a challenging piece of music, it was inspiring and exciting to complete it. Uh, I, I also had a big passion for math when I was younger and I loved solving math problems. Um, you know, I, I, I like to talk, I, I loved English literature, history, uh, debating, discussing, but, but math was always exciting because there was only one right answer, usually. But there was always one right answer. No matter how complicated the equation, if you knew how to solve it, you would get to the right answer. And I, I kind of attributed that to music as well. There's a lot of math that goes along with music, along with the art, but um, deciphering and it, because I didn't have that bit large upbringing of classical music, um, I felt a little behind the eight ball where uh, some of my colleagues could sight read a little quicker, pick things up a little quicker, uh, you know, read music a little better than I could, had this, this history or library of, of music or singers that they could recollect that at that age, I didn't have that. So I felt I needed to work all that much harder to get there. Uh, if 
it's something that a colleague could pick up and sight read. I need to spend a couple hours to teach myself. And through that process, through the, the teaching process, I started discovering more reasons to enjoy it. The solving the puzzle of music uh, became a, a challenge and a joy. And now getting a new role uh, is exciting in so many ways. I have my, my methodology and my process to you know, solve the riddles and it can be as much as the entire role or even just one musical phrase is, how, you know, how to break this up, how to put that in the voice, how to put it in the mind, how to merge them together. And then of course, meeting with other colleagues, other pieces, the, the, the maestro, meeting with your, your, your partner, uh, transitioning from working with just the accompaniment to the orchestra, all those different elements coming together and solving that puzzle is just, it's, it's very exciting for the mind. And when my mind's excited about something, I can't stop myself from doing it. And then of course it, it, it just all starts to feel good. Um, you know, the endorphins kick in, the, the intensity comes through. And then when people you are working with, you admire and respect, they come up and tell you that they believe in you and support you and are impressed by you. And, are admiring what you're doing it, it it's it's just there's no there's no feeling like it to be a part of this this community and and continue to do what i do is it it keeps me going we, w we wouldn't do this if we didn't want to do this oh, yeah, you know no no one's forcing me to to get up on stage and sing but they i i they have to fight me to keep me off you know the stage <laughs> like like the little kid in 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 uh yeah kindergarten exactly no i nothing's changed about that that's i i, I remember that fondly that was a, a very formative experience i i remember being on that stage that that's probably when i got addicted to the limelight you know having seen people smile laugh take pictures clap and and that in genuine you know not we, we i was in on the joke you know it wasn't like i'm being laughed at everyone is you know enjoying what i'm doing up there and that still rings true today when, when i'm performing an aria or, or or finishing a performance or small concert thousands of people concert it's um it's the same thrill and it's i do it for me also because it's something that i need to do i need it's it's the it's what it's what I'm here to do. I it, it satisfies me in a way that nothing else ever will. Music is is so important. Fun. And um and after you did your your high school, um, where did you go for masters? So, so I actually didn't. I didn't get my masters. I, I did my undergrad at Montclair State, and I, I graduated with a BFA in musical theater. And I had a um a, a non unwritten minor in in, in uh, music they they added some extra class curriculum on there for me to to uh, allow me to continue some of the more classical vocal studies um, but after that I I did a couple young artist programs and after those I just I, I started attempting some competitions and that's that's that was around 2014 I graduated in 2012. And then the next two years were um, where it started to plateau, where the voice was saying, "There's, there's got to be more." Um, I would pick up music, and it, and it started to feel dull. Um, not that it's, you know, it, it because because I was the wrong voice type, and that that those kept those kept lining up, and um, 
I, I knew something must be wrong because every the, the way I just spoke passionately about the music when it when the fire started to go out, um, I knew it wasn't the business, the career. I knew it wasn't me. There was something off, and that was kind of what spoke to me. Um, and I'm grateful that I had that you know little voice in my head say you know you need to make a change. And then when I started studying as a you know the tenor voice, all of a sudden it all came back. It became more exciting. There was more challenge. There was more intensity. There's more mystery. And I became um, more of a voice nerd again. And I started getting really obsessed with the mechanism and how to create that. Because I realized this was something I had inside of me the whole time. I didn't, it wasn't another stage of development. It was just a, not a full understanding of the, the full uh, depth or, or, or breadth of the, the voice. And then through studying that, I, I listened to every tenor and then started listening to every soprano to see how they did their upper register to see if I could kind of, you know, mirror that in, in my registration and technique. I started listening to technique, watching videos, uh, doing just all this independent study because I, I wanted to. It was like watching, you know, old game footage to to, to watch how you know the the old pros did it and, and i'm grateful that there's such a amazing library of, of music online where you can watch these amazing you know singers that are, are no longer with us but watching the way they shape their mouth the way they hold their breath the way they you know carry themselves the way they pace themselves and you know it's not just the beauty of it but watching the the, the technical side became so interesting because when you start to understand that, you realize how much you don't know and how much you, you need to learn. And, and then when you watch the masters do it, you realize that they're also, they've been doing it far longer for thousands of years, but they're also doing the same things you're doing. It, it starts to give you, um, you know, not only inspiration, but validation that you're on the right path. And then when improving starts happening and ease and, and the voice comes out a little easier. And then there's, um, you know, there's things that you thought were be challenging and far off in the future and you'll never sing that ever. All of a sudden it starts coming closer to you. And, and then when opportunity comes is, it's very exciting. The very first tenor role I ever performed was Alfredo in La Traviata, which I thought was the most daunting, and most difficult, challenging role in the entire tenor lexicon, because that was all that I had in front of me. And it's still very, you know, there's a lot of intricacy with that. And, but it's, I would say it's not even the most challenging out of the Verdi lexicon. And then you add in the entirety of the opera on top of that. But it's, um, it was a great, it was a great role to start with and still a great role I love to return to. Um, now much more fun then I think that <laughs> I was definitely nervous the first time I stepped on stage and opened my mouth as a tenor. Uh, but it, a after countless hours, you know, there's the first time is always the hardest. Doing a role debut, let alone a Fach debut. Um, but, you know, I'm doing, I've done maybe five or six performances of La Traviata. When I do my thousandth performance, it'll be that much easier. Um, but it's, it's, it's it's just an amazing thing yeah how the um when you 
how long did it take for you to transition from, from singing baritone to singing tenor? We took a year in studio working on art songs, uh, some, some leader, Strauss, um, and figuring out that the, 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 the technique, it was, it was very foreign to me, that covering sensation, but I, I have a really, really good kinesthetic relationship with the voice and I, you know, had all of these different options that I was trying and then we really just had to rule out what wasn't working until we found the, the, the narrowness of, of these are the options you go with and this is the technique and then solidifying that technique. And that was in, in 2016. So what that was seven years ago, I was, I was 26, 27. Um, you know, the voice is redeveloping and even, you know, we, I, I did a, a couple of um, concert programs, some, some safe repertoire and Alfred, was really the the first role that I ever did from beginning to end and I was I was grateful for that opportunity um, and it after that it's difficult to get more work when everything on your resume is baritone you're a new tenor um, even if you have the ability not everyone's gonna have the confidence in you because you don't have the experience so getting the experience I, I was doing a lot of um, unpaid work just to get that stage experience um anything that i could sing anything anywhere i could sing i would so i could put more lines on my resume and have more stage experience more times i could call myself a tenor uh you know even now it's been seven eight years i've, I've been singing more as a tenor than i ever did as a baritone but it's still a whole life behind me that i have to you know not unlearn but sort of realign uh you know in the studio the natural tendencies because the tenor voice is an unnatural sound there are some people that are born right into it and that's how they do it but it is a slight manipulation so but especially i would say that especially the lyric tenor because lyric tenor is in a way it's 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 uh, the, the way you process is a is a baritone that that goes really really stretchy 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 you know if you are uh, a, a light tenor and, and you have a tenorino voice from from the teenage years uh usually those those tenors remain light tenors they don't become lyric tenors but uh and that's how they sit in that high position all the time but the lyric tenors are required to you know they're able to to really stretch and so that's why that's why they they're able to sing so loud and consistently loud which is you know what you need for the for the lyric tenor, right? So it's, <clears throat> that that is much more of a stretch. Absolutely, and um, I, like I said, you know, I, I thought originally it was just putting putting more um, more levels up, building up on top of my foundation, and then over time, I mean, even in the last year or so, I I've been almost relearning how to include all that uh, lower registration and and not manipulate the voice, but keep it as more natural as what my voice is. Not try to um, mimic or mirror or, or, or affect the voice to create a sound, but more just release the already, uh, you know, natural.
natural sound in there because you're, you're right the lyric tenor or the dramatic tenor has those darker registrations that they can include throughout and it doesn't it doesn't just turn on now it's tenor now it's baritone now it's tenor it, it's seamless and um finding that has been a challenge but you know i i don't back away from a challenge it was very rewarding singing more puccini uh singing more wagner uh doing some more larger voice roles in small studio settings has just built up that confidence and and the the amount of hours it takes to actually make that technique become second nature you know there we're thinking of so many things when we're on the stage the music the 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 text the meanings the staging connecting with the maestro connecting with our our, our partners um that you can't think technique you can't occupy part of the mind to invent in the moment so the amount of time that's taken in the studio out of the studio on the bus whatever it is that's consumed with practicing the music in in the way that it's um just second nature is 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 so important and making it the most natural ability of your voice you know not not affecting the voice too much just instructing and and using the technique and building that technique and relying on that technique wow. and what are the your uh, the sample of the, of the tenor roles that you have done and you enjoy especially i i i'm bad with favorites if, if you ask me what's my favorite opera i'd probably name 10. I, I can't ever pick just one, but I love I love music that I like the Verismo, something that has an impassioned story, something that the heart is is in synchronicity with the the music and the text. Um, Mozart's all well and fine. I, I I like Mozart. I'm not putting down anything the bel canto or anything. Um, I just I find it it almost is a setting. For, for the the music almost is not relevant to the story. It's just they're they're happening one in front of the other. Where I think Barismo, they're kind of happening together. The music is the passion, is the voice, and brings it out. And I find as as an actor, as a singer, that's where I respond the best. Where you know you're letting out an, an impassioned cry is is the music. You know, and it um, so. I did. I just recently did uh, Pagliacci, my my first Kanyo. Uh, I debuted in uh, Opera Tampa. That was earlier this year, and that role. I think I could. I, if I if I could do one role for the rest of my life and only one role, I think that would be the one. So far, I haven't. I have not had the opportunity to sing everything, <laughs> but that was a thrilling experience. Um, just exploring the the depths of human emotion. And I mean, Leon Cavallo just absolutely pulls the music out out of the heart, and it, it's just so un unlike any other style. I, I feel doing the Verismo and and you know Puccini as well. Uh, I you know um, La Boheme is obviously one of the most performed musicals in the world because it's just so impassioned. The it's so. It, the story can happen today and as same as it happened you know a couple hundred years ago it's the 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 music just is evocative 
and to listen to, to sing, uh, Butterfly as well. I mean, Madama Butterfly, there's just so much pain in the music. There's so much love in the music. It, it, it's so much more inspiring to, to sing that way. And it's, I, I'm able to discover new moments in there as well. And, and it's so old hat to so many people, but it's, it's exciting that some of these things are still new to me, that there's still pieces I can discover from myself organically obviously watching the greats and admiring what they do but refinding what makes my performance unique in my in my own discovery um I, I i like anything that's that's heroic as well i find i have i have a slightly stentorian sound herculean sound uh anything that i can you know heroic i i doing um wagner is is new to me sigmund's uh lohengrin just these titanic characters that you know get to just exclaim at the top of their lungs and sing at the peak of the voice. Um, Verdi is is obviously very exciting. I, I've done a few uh, uh, performances of Rigoletto. I like I like playing the Duca. Uh, something about being a villain is exciting. It's not often that a tenor gets to play the villain, and it's it's a little exciting although the the duca is more of a cartoon villain i'd say rather right. than Pinker, pinkerton who is a a real life example of a villain um but something about being so free with even though the audience will despise you everything you're doing is is correct it's the right way to do things you know pinkerton not to switch gears into butterfly but pinkerton does not for a moment think anything he's doing is wrong right. and obviously obviously the audience that's the dramatic irony of it the audience understands they can already foresee the outcome that butterfly is going to be hurt and he is going to be the cause and his callousness and his abrasion to any of these culture cultural aspects of, of japan his, his discourteous uh nature is is just his natural ability he, he's not putting on a show to be this callous he just is that callous and ignorant and and brutish and he genuinely doesn't care because he's been told his whole life comes from a place of privilege that it's his divine right to do what he's doing he's he in his mind he's the hero of the story there's no doubt about it not a single doubt except for the very very end when it's all too late and there's no room for um, there's there's no room for redemption i i i struggle to find you know i i like to layer in um, my acting exercises and techniques to create pinkerton as a, a a real human being he's not he's not a cartoon in the way the duke is a cartoon the duke yeah. is a, a a a cartoon villain the, he's the beginning uh, where he is in the beginning, he's the exact same at the end. His his character arc is a straight line. He doesn't learn a thing. Has absolutely no redemption. Maybe a brief moment before uh, when he sings the, the act to uh, Arya, but then everything <laughs> turns out okay, and he forgets that moment. But well, he, he always says, "Quasi uh, spinto." Yes. Uh, almost, almost, almost pushed to be yes. virtuous. Yes, almost, almost put, but not quite. And then, of right. course, um, he finds out immediately that 
he's he has exactly what he wanted and everything is good for him anyway he wins but for for pinkerton even even in the moments of genuine uh, emotion when um you know he sees how poorly Chochosan is treated by the bonds and how she's cast out by her family and he sings the bimba bimba uh non piangere there's always an ulterior motive you know it ends with him vieni vieni he wants to consummate he wants to just get the the marriage over with it's all about him it's very selfish and then even in the the very end when he ultimately realizes how much devastation his behavior has has wrought he's too much of a coward to do the right thing his cowardice is keeps him away and yes he comes back at the end butterfly butterfly it's all too late but too late is too late there's no redemption for a man like that um i up earlier in my studies i i i thought you know there there has to be a reason for why he's like this maybe maybe he is good natured after all and he he can be redeemed there's got to be a kernel of he's a maybe he's a victim of his upbringing and all of a sudden his mind is shattered and it all comes in and he understands finally and he's really a good man but that's not not always the way that life happens that's a little storybook and they live happily ever after you know in real life people go on stuck to their ideals even though they have a, a a horrific experience it doesn't always change them you know i don't think that, that after this goes on he 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 adopts sorrow and and you know teaches him japanese customs and starts to live a, a life of respect i i would think that you know he's he's a able to sleep that night and he's able to just carry on and i i i think maybe every once in a while he'll have a pondering thought but i i think he'll he gets to live a, a long healthy life after that and that's it's even more cruel that pinkerton ultimately wins you know the sorrow will eventually the 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 emotions will eventually fade and he'll eventually forget all about nagasaki he'll eventually forget all about butterfly and it's it's criminal that he that he will i i it, 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 there's one, one way to play where maybe he'll he'll have a a picture of her on his shelf and he'll he'll you know honor her that would that's what i'd like to think a human being would do but i i i find him a little more despicable and detestable than that and i think it makes the story even more obscene and, and more you know real that if you think about the moments after that, that's how I see Pinkerton going on to the end of his days, you know, maybe with a, a smile and, and he gets to enjoy his life where this, you know, the real victim, Chocho-san, was everything was taken from her, her, her upbringing, her history, her family. She has absolutely nothing, nowhere. She's utterly devoted, given every ounce of her life to somebody who saw her as a prop, as, as a, a a test drive and it's it's not every day that's so far from who i am as a human being <laughs> and to to be able to be given the gift of here's this really juicy character with this unbelievably overwhelming score that as the backdrop for this story that can be told today it is happening today we see it happening today in all parts of the country you know, war, war is, is a, a, a tool that people can use to take. And sometimes it's taking 
you know, resources, sometimes it's taking people, sometimes, you know, there's been GIs that have had these experiences. I mean, we know for a fact they're based off of real life experiences. Um, but, they, you know, even in a, a smaller setting, there are people that spend a night together and then one of them disappears and one of them is left broken with this insurmountable responsibility and clinging to hope that they'll come back and the other might never even consider them again. You know, it's, a, it's a story that is told over and over and over. So to be able to be a part of that, to tell it in such a grand setting as opera, where you know you can you can have that intimate moments, but you can also just have this wall of sound consume you in every aspect is just so perfectly constructed by Puccini that you're you're just you know it, he holds your hand through this entire story all the way from beginning to end, and and you're just you're right there with all, all of them. And, and it's, it's not a wonder that oftentimes Pinkerton will be booed at the, at the end of his final aria, which I find if I, that's the only, one of the only operas I find that if I'm booed at the end, I did a good job. You yeah. know, if they, okay. if they, yeah. <laughs> I personally don't like the booing because, you know, we're not, we're not clapping for Pinkerton, we're clapping for Jeremy. So at the end of the aria, no, at the, at the end of the aria, at the end of the, when, when the lights are on and everyone's clapping, that's, um, I'll take that or leave that, but, right. um, yeah, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We should, be, yeah. we should, we should be a little more, uh, adults. I mean, I understand that kids will, could, could buy, could, you know, boo to, to the witch in Hanson Gretel or maybe, uh, <coughs> because they think that, the characters, the, the people playing the characters are the characters, but come on, in opera, in, in, in other audiences should be a little more, you know, more mature and not, not mix the, the performer with the character. I agree. That's why if, if whenever I have the chance, I make sure to um, have sorrow, give me a high five or, or something that we all know it's okay. <laughs> that everything exactly. Fine. I mean, I mean, she gets up at the end. It's, we all know that it's it's uh, a story. You know, the, the imaginary circumstances have dissolved. You come out on stage. You know, it's all it makes it all makes sense that it's a, yeah. And um, and so as uh, as we're going, to, I mean, we're telling everyone that that you are going to be our Pinkerton in our production of Madame Butterfly. Uh, um, you know, we're very excited to have you there and we're very excited to finally bring this amazing work to Savannah. It's, it's the first time that, that uh, Butterfly is performing in Savannah, so we are very excited to, to bring it to Savannah. And, um, and uh, one thing that is unusual in, in this, uh, let's call it the traditional repertoire, I mean, of the, of the most famous uh, composer Mozart, Verdi, Puccini, Donizetti, Bellini, that you are actually playing an American character, so a, a U.S. citizen. Um, but it actually, we kind of, in a way, we, we forget about it because we are so connected to, to Puccini's painting of human nature as a, as a general thing. How, how does he feel playing uh, a very clear Clearly, American character, as as we know, because of the quotes of of the national anthem. I I I take that as um, just more fuel for his characterization. I mean, 
at that time and and even still today i think america sees itself as the center of the the world you know it it sees it there there are a lot of people in the us today that see themselves as the main characters and don't really understand that there are world global politics and other things happening and i think that's maybe a product of our um you know where the media is focused not not that there is not a lot of you know global attention on the us but there are a lot of global events that maybe the us is not as focused on and uh, i think especially at 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 the, that time setting um was it also rung true so his his self-centered attitude and his ideology is coming backed up by his government essentially um and you know the military also enforces this his his military upbringing um i think that it's i use that as fuel but from myself i i love um i mean everyone gets a a nice chuckle out of the whiskey line um uh, cuz it and he he puccini writes it in such a way it 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 interrupts the aria he's having this thought and then he sees the whiskey and it interrupts that to offer his you know sharpless the whiskey but puccini uses it as a way to interrupt and remind the audience that he's an american you know any time that he can say an american an english word it's 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 obvious it's not it's not thrown in into the 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 legato phrasing of the you know traditional lines that he he would he'll he'll interrupt it the same way america forever you know he he precedes it with this anthem and ramps it up and here's that that american pride and it's said in such a declamatory way that it stands out to the audience so the audience everybody knows this guy is an american he's this is this this is his um you know nature it's and it's funny i actually i got to play an american one other time in an opera it was a, a um rossini opera one act opera um la cambiale di matrimonio that's a that, that's a canadian it's a canadian but they call him american because it's nor, he's oh, yeah, north american so yeah. they yes he's he's not a U, from the us but he's a canadian yes that was that was back at, at montclair state and there were also other clever ways that rossini wrote it in there as well um uh you know ritornare al canada he said he'll, he'll, he'll return back to canada but he comes in as as almost a um you know it's 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 an italian writing this stereotypical of what a canadian man would comes in he comes in with snowshoes and a fishing net and all this you know wild stuff um and it it sort of makes a mockery not a mockery but a stereotype of what that character would be but there were other phrases that stuck out about you know america but bringing back to puccini the the same thing can be said in the um the the commission scenario when he's marrying them when he's naming his stature his status benjamin franklin pinkerton um uh from you know america del nord it's very like broken just so the audience is very clear it's it's not it's not skimmed over it's very you know hamfisted this guy's an american everybody clear everybody get that um and then, even the way he says um japan too it's very it, when they talk about all the japanese specifics because that's another you know culture that he's constructing 
from his own experience, but it is an outsider's perspective of what Japan was, especially at, at that time. But all those little specifics that he that he puts in there, he makes sure that they're not glossed over. You know, when Butterfly comes and talks about her um, or her OB, or when she talks about all the items that she's bringing in one by one, they're showcased. You know, that's not for Pinkerton's benefit. That's for the audience's benefit. It's a, um, you know, a demonstration of, of these specifics, these cultural specifics that at that time were, you know, completely unknown. There, there, America had just, the East had just opened back up. You know, it was not, these were all new items, new things. This was very foreign for, for the average theater goer at that time. And even still today, there's, you know, opera is so foreign. So coming to see, this is this is going to be someone's first, you're saying it's the first production in, in Savannah. It's going to be a lot of people's first, first opera they've ever even seen. So to, you know, having something so illustrious as, as, as Madama Butterfly to be that opera, it, it almost mirrors how this new culture was presented through that opera to the the um, you know the average theater goers of Puccini's time, and and I think the, the specifics, the the American specifics, the Japanese specifics, and then the the contrast between them are, are yeah. fun to it's fun to explore. We have, we have to imagine that at at the time that Puccini was writing this, it's it was. You know, people may, of course, may know about it, but but there's not the wealth of information that can easily be reached like today. So either that you do a research, or people didn't travel, not there was you know easily access to information. So uh, it was a discovery, and and of course we're, we're we are always we you know we we understand uh, everything by stereotypes because we had to simplify, but we need to be aware that it's it is a simplification and but but it is i'm sure for america it is fun to to play an american it is uh, it's fun to play an american definitely it's it's um it's also because you 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 feel like you you know there's something that you know about it that other people yes. will do different but you know that it belongs to you so it definitely it definitely belongs to me and and also the the characterization i Pinkerton, it's it's fun to not have to care. It's it's, it's that right. the pressure's off. The pressure's off a little bit. You know, the character is not necessarily having these connections, these these histrionic connections that you need to discover and find. It's it's very freeing and a little lax to be Pinkerton. I, I kind of yeah. see him like the C, like the CEO. You know, the CEO comes to visit the company, but he's not going to remember anybody's name. Uh, you know, you might be having a conversation with them, but then he'll just look away. And, you know, everyone, like Goro is riding right behind him to give him everything he wants, but he's kind of checked out and looking at the house. And it's it's having that kind of self-centered character, it gives you the freedom to, it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. You know, yeah. it's... it's um, it's it's freeing it's it's definitely uh an, an exciting thing and you know it's it's fun it's it's a fun role to play he's a horrible yeah, yeah. and then of course that in the, in the third <laughs> in, in the third you come and, and you had to get, have fun being guilty Feel, feeling yes. guilty because you certainly feel guilty of i mean you may not have a awareness of the scope 
the full, full scope of the of the effects, but certainly they're aware that that there is some guilt there. And I think it really only comes out. It, the 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 good thing about it is that it's not. He didn't feel guilty off off stage. You know, the guilt comes in that moment. He came in. He brought his new wife. You know, if he had those feelings of guilt, he would have left her. She would have stayed yeah. on the ship even. But he brought her in. Everything's fine. And it really isn't. It all you you actively watch Pinkerton crumble, and that's what's exciting. It's not he comes in. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I'm guilty. He comes in exactly the same. Three years have passed, but it's fine. You you I, as an actor having that discovery, having that meltdown, having that breakdown, that's what makes the, the adio fiorito azil, that makes it an honest declaration and, and also, you know, his opportunity to do the right thing is completely shadowed by his absolute cowardice. And that's another element you get to see of Pinkerton. You don't, you don't see Pinkerton as a coward in the first act. He's very callous. He's very kind of bold and brave. He's all the things that Butterfly says he is. He's jovial. jovial. He, he stands up to the bonds. He kicks everyone out of his house. And, he, and if, the, if it ended there, if it was a one-act opera, he'd be a hero. And they'd yeah. fall in love, and it would be a beautiful love story. But in Act Three, you, you you get to discover his despicable nature. All these things in Act Two that you that the audience has seen—that's what you know helps the dramatic irony because they know how detestable Pinkerton is. And then once Pinkerton realizes it, that's when you get to see that he is a three-dimensional character beyond redemption. But he's not not a, a villain with intent. He realizes the error of his ways, and it's. It's too late. It's too late to do anything. It's it's already you can't you can't unring the bell. It's already rung. And instead of facing up and fessing up to it, he just runs away. And he and he has somebody else fight his battle. And he even leaves his wife there. He doesn't even say come with me. Let's go. He just is so self-centered. He's like I need to get out of here. I can't handle it. Which is you know it's a human nature when you're at the the edge of your emotion you just you're desperate his fight or flight kicks in and he flees with his tail between his legs and that's just another element the audience get to see that cements how not only callous and despicable he is but also how cowardly and shameful he is he's and vile and he and he admits it it's not someone else says you know pinkerton you're vile he says i'm so vile you know it's the self self-discovery and and him pointing out his flaws and recognizing his flaws and not having the ability or the strength to change it. And just, yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> well, it's, 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 I, I mean, it's like, like many, in many cases of, of great theater, we see different dimensions of, of characters. I think, you know, there's always, two sides of the story and and uh but but it, we are presented with a very 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 strong you know scenario very strong story that that makes us uh think about it and yeah. feel a lot so it's it's a it's a great piece because of many things so i jeremy I well thank you yeah yeah no I'm looking I'm thank you so much for really joining us uh <laughs> yeah looking forward to, to doing this 
this butterfly together in in Savannah. Uh, have you been to Savannah before? I've been to Savannah before, but uh, briefly. What, like I said, I grew up in Florida, and both of my siblings went to college down there. So we would drive from New Jersey down to Florida multiple times a year to pick them up from school, drop them back off. My my dad and I would take a road trip. The family would take a road trip. So we stop. We've stopped in Savannah a few times. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to being a part of the program, working with you, of course, working with the the, the illustrious faculty. Um, I mean, Cheryl Milnes is somebody I've admired for a very long time. In fact, I might be embarrassing to say, but you know, in discovering opera and watching all these videos, that was the first moment I had a, an emotional response to opera that I was watching. And I all of a sudden started crying and I didn't realize what, what was actually happening. There was just so much passion in, in the music. Uh, it was his uh, performance of, uh, as Tonio doing the, the, the prologue in Pagliacci, which still is, is a, a, a very powerful thing. So just, just had to slip that in there. But I'm very excited to be a part of the program, to work with all the wonderful singers you've cultivated and uh, to, to sing in Savannah. Yeah, you'll you'll love it. Uh, you it will it will be great to be there for it for two weeks, and enjoy the the city because it's it's really a fantastic place. So well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, great talking to you, and I'm looking forward to to doing the show together. Thank you so much, Jorge. Thanks for letting me just prattle on about how much I love singing and how much I. Love <laughs> it's fun. I I I love your excitement, and hopefully we're going to share your excitement with it with this Thank you. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to also learning, learning a lot while I'm there too. Always, Good. you know, learn, learning from everyone's expertise <laughs> and, um, you know, their experience. So I, I'm, I'm going to bring everything that I have and I'm excited <laughs> to take everything that you have to offer and put them together. And, and it will be fantastic to do, you know, all, all the American characters are American and all the Japanese characters are Japanese. So it will be a fun, uh, insight to to this piece, I think. I think that that's something I know that we could talk another hour about the cultural aspects, but I think that's very important representation yeah. and the authenticity uh, to, to to continue the respect. I think it's all yeah. about definitely respect, especially in this day and age. So I appreciate that. Yes, excellent. All right, Jeremy, thank you. And everyone, thank you so much for joining and rewatching. You know, this, this is going to be recorded and I will see you all and at your next voices of the festival. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, Thank Jeremy. you so much. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye.